so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve here as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the weekly tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the public square. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weekly tech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jarvis Williams, an associate professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the author of a recent book entitled Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, A Biblical Theology of the People of God. Today, we talk about diversity in the Bible and its place within the kingdom of God. Dr. Williams earned his PhD from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where he now serves as an associate professor of New Testament interpretation. He's the author of numerous books, including works like For Whom Did Christ Die? The Extended the Atonement in Paul's Theology, as well as Christ Redeemed Us from the Curse of the Law. He's a widely published author who's written a number of books and articles on race, racism, biblical theology, New Testament interpretation, and biblical hermeneutics. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Digital Public Square. As we get started, I want to let listeners know a little bit about your story and what led you into teaching in higher education. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the question. Well, if I can just start briefly with my my conversion experience, because that's related to, I think, my calling and teaching. I was saved in 1996 in a little small town in Eastern Kentucky as a result of a, of a tragedy. One of my dear friends uh, died in a, in a tragic car accident, and she was a Christian. And at the time, I was not a Christian. And uh, during that process of her having her accident and then spending some time in the hospital, fighting for her life, her pastor at the time witnessed to me and several other young people from the community at the hospital. And and when she died, a few few weeks after she died, I gave my life to Christ. And at that particular point, I was thinking that I was going to go to college and play sports and, and do that and pursue some kind of a career in that, not professionally, but to, to do something where I could maybe get a degree in communications and work in athletics in some way, shape, or form. But during my first semester of college, I had less and less of a desire to play athletics and more and more of a desire to read my Bible. And I sensed the Lord calling me into the ministry, but I didn't really know what that was, what that meant. So my home pastor, my church shepherded me and and walked me through that. And I told him, I I think I'm 
I'm being called to the ministry and, and I don't know what, what to do with that. And, and at the time I thought I was being, I was being called to be a pastor. And so basically he, he gave me and the church gave me opportunities to preach and to teach and they watched my life and observed me and, and they began to identify what they thought was in fact the calling and the ministry. So after that, I pursued theological education and eventually I, I came up to uh, Louisville to do uh, finished my undergraduate degree and to do seminary. And as I was coming through seminary, I began increasingly having the desire to, to teach uh, as I taught Sunday school and as I was a grader for one of my professors. And the Lord opened up more academic doors to to teach uh, as, a, as an adjunct professor at, a, at Southern for a while while I was a PhD student and also at another institution. And when I graduated, I, I started teaching full-time at a little college, and then eventually came back to Southern to, de- to teach. And through that whole process, the Lord uh, confirmed that He wanted me to both serve the church in terms of a, a, as a pastor. So I'm, a, I'm, a pa- I'm one of the pastors at my local church. But He was calling me, I think, primarily, He, he confirmed He was calling me primarily to an academic teaching ministry, which He helped me sort of identify as I was working through the PhD program and, and giving opportunities to teach. And also as I was serving my local church through, through that whole process and just fell in love with teaching as well as with preaching. Yeah. So we have a, a similar story in that sense where I initially felt the Lord was calling me into the church to be a pastor, uh, maybe even a lead church planter, something like that. I wasn't really sure, but there's that kind of academic itch and that kind of research itch. Uh, that I just enjoy doing. And the more opportunities I got, the Lord kind of confirmed, at least for this season, uh, that wasn't exactly what he was calling me to, but to be actively involved in my local church. And um, I'm really grateful for your ministry, not only because of the work that you do in academia, um, but especially in the local church of teaching and preaching God's word. I know specifically with this book, it comes out at a really unique time where there's significant controversy surrounding issues of race, racial reconciliation, ethnicity, kind of a lot of social divisions and things. And so I want to know a little bit about kind of what prompted you to write this book. Obviously, you're getting into a a biblical theology of the people of God, talking about this idea of redemptive kingdom diversity. Uh, But what prompted this book and kind of what's the story? Because obviously you have a number of projects that you work on and you're constantly working on. But what was the kind of driving heart or passion behind this book specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are many, many reasons that prompted me to want to write this book. I think perhaps one of the most important reasons was that as I have sort of observed the current racial discourse uh, in both the church as well as in the public square, one of the things that I thought was lacking in the conversation was the theology of redemption. Like what, what is redemptive about the conversation and about the, the processes that are being put in place, particularly in the church, to seek to live redemptively in light of this racial and ethnic tension that we have. But also related to that, as I looked at some of the literature that was out there, I didn't see uh, a, a book that was trying to do exactly the same thing I'm trying to do, which is to, on the one hand, address the very specific current social situation, but that primarily engages in a biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation that seeks to highlight one biblical theme, one theme which is uh, the, the diversity of the people of God and how that theme gives us insight into how we, as the diverse people of God, can live redemptively 
in a very divided world, and particularly in the United States context, in a, in a divided country. And so I, I wanted to offer what I thought could be a more helpful way forward for Christians who may be who may not agree on every nuance in the conversation, who may who may even disagree in their politics, but we can all agree that the Bible has has some very specific things to say about how his people in their diversity can live redemptively in a way that seeks to honor the image of God in each other, but also that seeks to live in light of God's saving action in Christ. And I wanted to provide something that was fundamentally dealing with what the Bible is saying about this reality, and then apply the biblical and theological analysis to some very specific cultural and ethnic and racial issues that we're dealing with in the American context. But also wanted to say something that I would be that I hope would be a little bit helpful uh, globally as well. So I think those are some of the the reasons I I wanted to, to do this. Before we dive into some of the specifics of the book, um, I want to kind of orient people to the idea of biblical theology. I think some people, when they hear biblical theology, don't know exactly what it is and how it's distinguished from other disciplines within the theological enterprise, and then how it kind of how biblical theology relates to what a lot of people talk about with the meta narrative or the grand story of Scripture. Can you kind of help orient us a little bit? to the idea of biblical theology and meta narratives before we get into the actual substance of the book? Yeah, that's another great great question. I, you know, I say in the book in the intro that that the book is not a biblical theology in the sense that some people would define biblical theology. That is, I'm not trying to say here is a unifying theme or the unifying theme all throughout scripture through which we should read all of scripture. I think one of the things I've learned as I've taught hermeneutics over the years and as I was working on the book is, is that there are different ways in which you can do biblical theology. I think you find that particularly in evangelical scholarship, there are different kinds of biblical theologies. You have a a book uh, like the one one of my colleagues wrote, Dr. Tom Schreiner, his book uh, on a biblical theology that focuses on the kingdom. And you have uh, another biblical theology Kingdom Through Covenant, which is written by another a couple of colleagues at, at, at my school. And you have a, a biblical theology like Greg Beale, uh, who wrote a, a, a New Testament understanding of the Old Testament. I think those three different books are doing three different kinds of things. So when I when I think about biblical theology, and of course, there's a whole biblical theology movement in the, in the 50s and the 60s that would be a, a different kind of thing than, than what I'm talking about. But when I talk about biblical theology and what I'm trying to do is just simply is I'm simply looking at the Bible, hence biblical, and I'm developing theological ideas or themes uh, throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm trying to, as best as I can, I'm trying to use the language of the Bible to develop those theological ideas. And then along the way, I'm also seeking to understand these texts in a redemptive way, particularly the Old Testament, so that text in the Old Testament, I want to understand those texts on their own terms. I want to let Genesis speak for itself. But as I'm tracing the particular theme of redemptive kingdom diversity, and as I'm talking about other theological themes related to that, when appropriate, I'm showing these, these Christological connections in the New Testament with what I've talked about in the Old Testament. 
And so I think if you had to reduce how I understand biblical theology to a to a sentence, I think it is, is you're, you're using the, the Bible's language, the Bible's categories, uh, the Bible's themes, the Bible's stories in order to to highlight what God is doing in individual biblical text from old to new. But then you're also focusing on how those texts are pointing to, fulfilled in, and realized in Jesus Christ. So I think what is important to I understand biblical theology is also this issue of typology, where we recognize on the one hand that, that Adam was a real historical person who lived, but also we know from Romans chapter 5 that Adam was a was a type of Christ who was who was yet to come. So you have these these historical figures when you're doing biblical theology, you recognize there are these real historical figures that point to a greater figure in the future. Uh, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, and, and events as well, like the Exodus from Israel was a real historical event, but it's pointing to a greater Exodus, a greater deliverance that is realized in Jesus Christ. And so we're trying to develop these ideas, what the Bible's theology is, as we're reading from Genesis to Revelation, these texts on their own terms, and then also making intentional Christological connections, and also looking at how the New Testament authors are reading these Old Testament texts to guide us along the way to help us understand how these texts are to be understood in light of who Jesus Christ is. It's one way you could, I think, talk about and define what biblical theology is. And and, and so as you're thinking about the storyline, back to your question about metanarrative, when you're thinking about the storyline of Scripture, I think uh, one thing I would say would be is that that the whole story of the Bible is Genesis 3.15, that God is about the business of crushing the seed of the serpent by means of the seed of the woman. And that seems to me to be a, a significant storyline throughout the Old Testament and the New Testaments, that there are a lot of additional stories that are highlighted along the way. But there seems to be a driving storyline as well. And that doesn't mean that that biblical history is linear without any kind of bumps or hiccups. Uh, but it does mean that from Genesis to Revelation, there's a biblical narrative uh, that is unfolding theologically from Genesis to Revelation. And we're trying to seek to understand that narrative and all of its complexity in the language and the categories that the Bible itself actually gives us to do that. Yeah, so in the book, obviously, you're talking about this theme of redemptive kingdom diversion. You mentioned that it's one of many themes that you see in the scripture. And so while this this work might not be a biblical theology proper in terms of like the discipline per se, as you said, you're you're using the scripture's language to talk about these categories and this understanding of the people of God and this framework of redemptive kingdom diversity. So I want to ask as we get starting kind of at a high level, what do you mean by redemptive kingdom diversity? And why is that important for Christians to understand when we're thinking about the people of God? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, as you know, and your listeners will will know that the word diversity is thrown around in a variety of ways today to mean a, a whole host of things. Uh, and, and some people use the word diversity to talk about everything goes. And that is clearly not what I'm talking about in, in my book. So when I talk about diversity in my book, I'm fundamentally thinking about the the diversity that exists between human beings, Jews and Gentiles, uh, every tongue and tribe and, and people and nation. And when I talk about redemptive kingdom diversity, I, I mean that God in Christ has acted 
to restore everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. He has worked in Christ through Jesus' wrath-bearing death and his victorious resurrection from the dead to justify Jews and Gentiles uh, by faith in Christ, that, that he's restoring the vertical relationship between sinners and himself through Christ that was lost because of Adam and Eve's transgression. But God is also horizontally working in Christ to restore the relational brokenness that exists. As you know, from in Genesis chapter 4, after the fall, you have murder. And we see very clearly that, that there's a, a massive divide now between human beings because of sin and that God in Christ is working to bring about restoration and reconciliation horizontally through Christ. And then thirdly, there's this cosmic redemption that God is seeking to restore in Jesus, that the entire creation is enslaved to sin and its power. Human beings are conceived in sin, and when they are born, they commit acts of sin. And those acts of sin are fundamentally transgressions against God, but also they transgress against fellow human beings. But the New Testament also teaches, I think the Old Testament as well teaches, that the entire creation is in bondage and it needs to be liberated from sin's power. So Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25, this promise of a new creation, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, and Revelation 21 and 22, that one of those promises that God is giving in Genesis 3.15 is to bring about a cosmic redemption, and that happens also through Jesus. So when I talk about redemptive kingdom diversity, I mean that God is in Christ fulfilling every single redemptive promise for Jews and Gentiles and for the world. And, and one of those promises is, is that different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations, different skin colors, different dialects scattered throughout the world are being justified by faith in Christ, but also reconciled to one another in Christ. And so then in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, we are given supernatural ability to love one another selflessly and sacrificially as Jesus loved us. And as it relates to the ethnic and racial divide, that requires us to be willing to make certain kinds of sacrifices and negotiations and trade-offs for the sake of loving one another well by the power of the Spirit. And, and that means forgiving one another. Uh, that means seeking to listen to one another. That means speaking the truth in love to one another. Uh, but all of that is done redemptively in light of what God has done for us in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the thing that I, I really love about the entire book. Obviously, you're walking through Genesis through Revelation. Um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of how that theme plays out. But one of the things that I appreciate through the whole book and even just hearing you speak is how gospel focused it is. I mean, this is redemptive kingdom diversity. It's fixated on the truth that we're not compromising. We're not changing. We're not altering. We're not dispensing with the truth of the gospel message or the sufficiency of scripture. What we are doing is saying is how is Christ uh, showing us, molding us, shaping us to ultimately, as we see in Matthew 22, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to also love our neighbors ourselves. And what does that then practically look like? And so before we get to some of the practical aspects, some of the ethical aspects that you address kind of at the end of the book, I do want to ask kind of that question. I think a lot of people, when they think of racial issues or they think about what does the Bible say about race and ethnicity, naturally, and I think helpfully, our mind goes to like Ephesians 2 
about Paul talking about the one new man. But as you've already kind of alluded to, we see this, I mean, from the very beginning of Scripture in some sense. Um, so can you help us to see some of these high points? I mean, we don't have to go into every, th- every single, you know, book of the Bible type of thing. Um, I encourage listeners to grab a copy of this book because you literally, especially for pastors, for ministry leaders who are preaching through a text, this can be one of the books you consult along the way. Um, which is really helpful is because, hey, you have the Pentateuch or you have the law and the prophets and the writings or you have the New and Old Testament. Like you have these kind of places where you can go. But what are some of the, maybe the high points or some of the things that listeners may not expect to see this idea of the people of God throughout the scripture? Yeah, that's good. I, I'll give you a, a couple of texts, one from the Old Testament and one, one from the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, I start with Genesis chapters one and two. Because one thing that I try to do in the book is to make the point that when we in our American context talk about race, that's a conversation that's alien really to the Bible. The Bible knows of the human race. And when we talk about ethnicity in our context, that's more like what the Bible talks about when it talks about tongues and tribes and peoples and nations, even though there still isn't a direct one-to-one correlation. So one of the things I wanted to do is to to define these categories that I'm working with, race, ethnicity, so on and so forth. But I start with Genesis to make this very important point, is that God created diverse human beings, male and female, Adam and Eve in the garden. And, And there's one human race. There's only one race, and that's the human race in the Bible. And from that one human race, you have a variety of different ethnicities that eventually emerge as people scatter to and fro on the earth, so on and so forth. But but in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it is interesting when God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. I think in that command, he is anticipating that there would be a diversity of human beings. And so that One of the things I think we misunderstand about ethnicity is, is that we tend to think ethnicity is, ethnic diversity is a bad thing, and it happens only after Babel, when the nations are scattered. I don't think that's right. I think what happens at Babel is there's a unified speech, but there are different kinds of people in the world. It's just in Babel, you see that there's a unified speech that can understand one another, and then they're forced to scatter throughout different parts of the, of the world because of their desire to use that speech to bring a name to themselves as opposed to honoring God. But right there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, particularly in chapter 1, when, when you have the command to be fruitful, multiply, given to Adam and Eve— you have the anticipation that there would be a diversity of people uh, flowing from this one human race because this this multiplication of offspring, I think, implies that there would be different kinds of people flowing from this one one seed. So I think you see it there in, in infant form. And then, of course, as the Old Testament develops, you see eventually uh, different groups of people, different ethnicities that are developed. And and you see different ethnic groups that become eventually opponents and adversaries of, of Israel as you move further into the Pentateuch. And then in the New Testament, at Revelation 5, it's interesting. You know, you have in Revelation 5 this great vision where John the Apostle says that Jesus 
purchases some from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And you have uh, this awareness that there is a diversity of people, one human race now, but a diversity of people who don't speak the same dialect, who, who presumably don't have the same skin color, who, who are from different parts of the, of the globe, who are redeemed by, by Jesus Christ, and are part of this new community, this new people known as uh, the people of God. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, as the story progresses, eventually, to be part of the people of God, you have to take on certain marks of Israel as there was a law given and so on and so forth. And when you get to the New Testament, you see that the boundary markers of Israel extend to to Gentiles in Christ because Jesus is the perfect Israel, the the perfect Son of God who brings about the fulfillment of all those promises. But I think at least in those two examples, you see that it's always been God's vision from the beginning to have a diversity of people who would be his own. The problem that emerges is not ethnic diversity. The problem that emerges is because of sin— In their diversity, human beings now see themselves as enemies of one another. And so God in Christ seeks to restore what Adam and Eve lost to bring about the redemption of these different ethnicities in Christ, who in Christ Jesus are a new people, but still have ethnic-specific identities as they are now part of this new identity in Jesus Christ. That seems to be a a, a theme that you find throughout scripture. I know one of the things that when you're taking on a major writing project like this, and you know this, I, I know this from my own writing, you kind of set out with an idea of what you want to write and what you want to communicate and how you want to teach others. Um, but along the way, the Lord uses this process of researching and writing and studying to also form and shape you along the way. Um, so I always like to ask authors, especially of works like this, uh, what did you learn? What did the Lord teach you along the way that was either surprising to you or maybe a, a scripture or a piece of text that you uh, saw in a different light than you had previously, just based on that kind of intense time of study? So how to, in the in the writing process, did the Lord use uh, this work to sh- refine and shape you to be more like Christ? Mm, man, that's good. That's a great question. I, I think one of, one of the things I've, I think I learned it wasn't anything that I didn't already know, but I was just reminded of the power of seeking to ground this conversation, the importance of seeking to ground this conversation in a biblical and theological framework. Some people, I think, would use what I've just said as a as a as a reason to ignore history, a reason to ignore the complexities of race and and racism as it uniquely operates in our country. Uh, although it's not unique to our country, but I'm, I'm writing as an American, as an African-American who grew up in eastern Kentucky, who's socially situated. So I, I'm not making that observation to say we should ignore the historical realities. We have to tell the truth about history, and we have to tell the truth about uh, the realities in which we have inherited and that we've done nothing personally or individually to create. But what I mean by the statement I just made with respect to um, the importance of grounding the conversation in the Bible is that as Christians, fundamentally, we want to live redemptively. And although we can learn things from, from common sense and common grace resources, 
there are people who are specialists in other fields who give their lives to think carefully and critically about how racism works and how it operates. That I fundamentally, I'm a Christian. I'm not a social scientist. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not an economist. I'm a Christian. I'm an exegete. And to me, I was just reminded of how the Bible does speak very powerfully into this conversation if we would just think carefully about what it is saying in its own historical context and then how we can, how we should apply these texts responsibly in our own social location. I was reminded also that certainly, certainly we, we should preach the Bible, teach it faithfully, uh, but we must also apply it and obey it uh, in the power of the Spirit and uh, with the people of God. And it was just striking to me because as I wrote this book, I, I, I literally sat at my desk and had my Bible open and I was just writing. Now, of course, there's a lot that goes into to research and there were things that I've read that have impacted and, and helped me understand certain things and I footnote uh, certain things appropriately. But fundamentally, I was engaging the biblical text. I think you can see that in, in the book. And I, 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 was just, I was just struck by the importance of making sure as Christians we're seeking to ask how the Bible speaks into our reality and we're seeking to, to apply the Bible responsibly, not, not, to, not to avoid our reality or to be apathetic about our reality, but how we can lean into our reality in this racial racialized reality that we've inherited, lean into it with spirit-empowered gospel truth and spirit-empowered empowered love. And, and on the other side of the book, I, I see now that that understanding is, is right, because I think even still, we need more and more Christians to just simply ask themselves, what does the Bible actually say about these things, as opposed to some of the other ways in which I think well-intended brothers and sisters are spending their time and, and energies. Yeah, and that's one of the things that you see throughout the book and you see that passion and that emphasis is being faithful to the gospel, being faithful ultimately to God's reality as revealed in scripture, You're faithful to the text. And at the same time, and this we talk a lot about here this on the podcast, is um, having the right beliefs matter. Speaking truth matters, but also what do we do with it? Which I see, and we I talk a lot about in my classes, but also talk about here on the podcast, is the relationship of having right theological beliefs, but also the importance of ethics and the importance of our actions and what we do with what we know. And what we do often reveals what we believe and what we believe often it naturally informs what we do. And so there's this inextricable relationship between our theology and our ethics that is undeniable. And that's something that I, I love the way you framed up the book because you spend the majority of the book, obviously this is the biblical theology of the people of God, and you spend the majority of the book kind of walking through theological text, through the scriptures themselves. And then you make this shift over to orthopraxy or what we'll talk about and kind of use the language of ethics, essentially. You're kind of modeling what does a biblical ethic look like uh, for this redemptive kingdom diversity. And so I want to talk a little bit as a fellow Southern Baptist and as a fellow Southern Seminary graduate, can you help us think through kind of how Christians can think about the social order in light of what we see in Scripture and kind of the nature of ethics, especially in a diverse society? Yeah, for those good Southern Baptists who are listening, you know, we actually have an article of, of faith in our BFNM 2000 that talks about the Christian and the social order. 
Uh, and, and we do have that in our adoption statement. And uh, along with what that statement says, it's important that we remember that Christians are fundamentally wanting, we should desire, I think, to honor Jesus Christ in the public square and as much and as far as it's possible to bring every aspect of society under the lordship of Jesus in a way that is honoring to God. That doesn't mean that that everybody in society is going to be a, a Christian, and that's not, uh, and, and that doesn't mean, in, in my view, that's that doesn't mean Christian nationalism or anything like that. That just means the Christian fundamentally should seek to live in the real world, in society, in a way that is seeking to subvert every aspect of his life and her life and society under the lordship of Jesus. That means the way in which I conduct myself in my community. That means the way in which I conduct myself in the public square, the way in which I interact with people or uh, on social media, the way in which I uh, love my neighbors well, so on and so forth. And so I think one of the the things as as a Christian that I have a responsibility to do is to love my neighbor as myself. And that's not just my Christian neighbor. That's not just my neighbor that shares my view of the world. That is a selfless, sacrificial love that's grounded not in how I feel fundamentally or how the culture is swinging, but it's grounded in Jesus's selfless, sacrificial love for me. So when my enemies lie on me or slander me or distort me beyond recognition, my responsibility is not to respond with hate, but to respond with love. And one one way in which you do that is, is not retaliate with the same kind of evil that people show toward you. My atheist neighbors deserve to be honored as image bearers, uh, even if that Atheist does not ever accept my my faith. Of course, I have a responsibility to preach the gospel, share the gospel, so on and so forth. But to live in a way where I'm seeking to uh, live redemptively, wherever I'm socially situated, in a way that can subvert every aspect of my life and society, insofar as I'm able to do that, uh, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that Jesus owns every aspect of society, and I want to seek to bring about the recognition of that reality by, yes, calling people to faith in Jesus, but also loving people well under the authority of Jesus in every aspect of society in which I may find myself. That's how I would articulate the the answer. Yeah, and that's what we focus on here a lot on the podcast is what does life look like in the digital or in the digital public square, which and really the public square is increasingly digital in the ways that we interact, the ways that we communicate. Um, and that has a profound effect on how we communicate and interact with one another. And so we talk a lot about kind of the effects of technology on the public square, et cetera. But I think this is really important because these theological and ethical and philosophical conversations are happening in the public square, whether we like it or not. And so as Christians, we can step into these conversations uh, fueled by the scriptures, fueled by love of God and love of neighbor, at kind of that summation of the Christian ethic that we see in Matthew 22 from Jesus that fuels and shapes about 
every aspect of our cultural engagement. And so I just highly recommend listeners to grab a copy of this book. It's Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, A Biblical Theology of the People of God by Dr. Williams. Um, it's a really helpful book from Baker. Um, obviously, we recommend this book. But one of the things that we always do at the end of the podcast is talk about other resources. This is a, a the purpose of this podcast is to help to resource and to educate and equip the local church to do the ministry that she's been called to do. Um, and so to that end, what are some resources that you would recommend for folks if they want to dig a little bit deeper on issues of race and ethnicity or issues of biblical theology and social ethics? Are there one or two resources that you would recommend outside of this resource, obviously, uh, that you would put in the hands of folks who want to go a little bit deeper? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, as, as a New Testament scholar, of course, I, I read a lot of, of books that are shaping the way in which I understand things, even if I disagree with the ideas in those books. It's kind of like, you know, eating a meal, even bad meals shape me in some way, shape or form. And so there are all sorts of books out there as, as a scholar that I could recommend. But I think what would be most helpful, perhaps for your listeners, would be uh, some books that introduce them to this conversation. So I think one book that I would recommend uh, is written by a former student of mine who's a pastor down in uh, Alabama, a fellow by the name of Isaac Adams, wrote a little book with Zondervan called, I think it's called Talking About Race or Race Conversations. And that book uh, is, is more of a, it's not a biblical theology or, or exegetical, but it's basically a book that's written to help Christians engage in gospel conversations about these things. And he, he used, he, he's a great, uh, Isaac is a, is, a, is, a, is a dear, dear brother. He's a good storyteller. He talks, he uses storytelling as a, as a means by which to show how you can have these gospel conversations in a way that is, is edifying, even when you disagree. I think that's a, a, a nice book. I think Zondervan Academic published that. And then another book written by a scholar, He's a Southern Baptist, George Yancey. Uh, George wrote a book. He wrote, he's written many books, but his most recent book is a book called uh, Beyond Racial Division, if I remember correctly. I wrote an endorsement for both uh, George's book and for Isaac's book. And George's book is, is helpful because George is a sociologist and he teaches at, uh, at Baylor University, but George is also a Christian. And by the way, I'm talking about the George Yancey who who does teach at Baylor and who who's a Southern Baptist. He's there's more than one George Yancey. This one is, spells his name Y A N C E Y. And George's book basically he makes the argument that the better approach to race conversations is what he calls collaborative collaborative conversations, where instead of people remaining in their polarized camps and their tribalistic camps, they instead come to the table together in their diversity and listen to one another and work together and collaborate and, and recognize that in that collaboration that there are trade-offs that, that you need to make, there are negotiations or sacrifices, but ultimately a goal is to affect change. And you can't affect change if you don't love well and listen to each other well. And so that book is called, again, Beyond Racial Racial Division. He also, in that book, I think he, he essentially says from a sociological perspective that uh, the sociological data seem to support that a more sort of redemptive approach to doing this kind of work is more effective. 
because there are people who often want to, to stay in their camps and you're either all with them or you're against them. Whereas George says, no, 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 that's not how you get things done. You have to collaborate with each other. And doesn't, collaboration doesn't mean compromising. It just means listening to one another and disagreeing in a way that is, that is loving and kind for the purpose of building a, a more sustained effort to affect real change. That's good for all people, not just for one group of people, but that helps all people to flourish. Uh, so that's Beyond Racial Division, George Yancey, or a couple books I would recommend. Yeah, I think those are really helpful. And for listeners' sake, we'll make sure to include those in the the show notes along with a link to this Redemptive Kingdom diversity book. But I really love the point as we end uh, that you brought out earlier is that that's not always reciprocated. Uh, that you can listen, you can choose to listen to people, you can choose to love people well, um, but that's not always reciprocated. We know that um, as you enter into the public square is that uh, sometimes your good faith effort at conversation, at having uh, redemptive conversations like this is not always reciprocated, but that nevertheless is the calling of the Christian, um, is to love God and to love our neighbor regardless if that comes back around to us. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing, especially in a very increasingly diverse, but also increasingly secularizing society, is to remember of the way that God has called us to live in light of the Christian ethic, in light of the scripture, the storyline of scripture, um, is to really is to focus on loving God, loving our neighbor. And part of that is to sp- is speaking truth, but also doing so in a graceful way, um, in a way that is saturated by the virtues and being shaped and molded to be more like Christ. Dr. Williams, I really appreciate your com- this conversation. It was really fun. It was uplifting and encouraging to me. Um, and I highly recommend listeners to grab a copy of your new book from Baker, Redemptive Kingdom Diversity, A Biblical Theology of the People of God. Um, I appreciate your ministry. I'm grateful for the work that you do at Southern Seminary. And thanks for joining us today here on the Digital Public Square. Thank you so much for having me. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Williams and learn more about his book, as well as the recommended resources he recommended in the show notes. Also make sure to sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing that comes out each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology in the public square, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can sign up at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. The Digital Public Square is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is produced and hosted by Jason Thacker. Production assistance is provided by Cameron Hainer and technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.